or it isn't there. There's joy to be in the kingdom of God. There's joy to be with, to be with his people. And uh, that's what this song is all about. We want to teach it to you. It's kind of new to us. So would you stand and let's sing House of the Lord. God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He's opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. Yeah, come on. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Oh, oh, oh. We shout oh, out your oh, praise. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross, then he rose up from the grave. My God still rolls the stone away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We were the beggars, but now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Come on, sing it. We were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in We shout out your praise. Oh, oh, oh. We shout out your praise. There is joy in this house. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, We shout out your praise. Yes. Amen. You can be seated. Well, this Sunday is my favorite Sunday of the year because we got that extra hour of sleep. Isn't that great? And uh, Tennessee wasn't the only person to lose yesterday. So um, you can thank Ryan White for this. We made an agreement earlier this week. 
and I'm paying for it. But if you uh, are a guest, we don't normally do this. I think I've never worn a college football thing on on a Sunday. But this is a one-time thing. So thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but uh, if you're a guest with us, we're so glad you're here. We'd love to get to know you. One of the ways that we do that is through that white guest card located in front of you. If you could fill one of those out, then after the service, just go left to the Welcome Center. Uh, our worship, not our worship pastor, our lead pastor, Dr. Cox, will be there. And I'd love to get to know you. And so one of the ways we do that is through that white card. And we have a small gift for you coming and being a part of our service. So Psalm 108 says, let us sing and make music with all of our souls let us sing to all the nations. Let us sing all the people because our God is worthy of praise. And that's what we're doing here in this moment. So as we pray, may we prepare our hearts to sing and praise him for he is worthy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. And God, I thank you for just as we have sung, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. Father, we will not be quiet. You are worthy of our praise. God, I thank you for this opportunity to worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us and let's continue to sing Christ our hope in life and death. Hallelujah, now and ever we 
whatever we confess, Christ our hope in life and death. Amen. There is power in the name of Jesus. And I speak over you today, over your problems, over your issues in your life. Speak Jesus over them. And he can heal and correct. And I pray this will be your prayer today. Listen as Jared sings and join in with us. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Till every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. Your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life. Oh, yes, Lord. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, turn like a fire. Oh, I want to speak the name. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety to every soul I've captured by depression I speak Jesus Your name is power Your name is healing from the mountains and Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus oh, oh, oh. oh, oh, oh Jesus from the mountains and Jesus in Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Over it. 
every heart and every mind because i know there is peace within your presence i speak jesus Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't think we're done. Donna, come on, sing that bridge. Here we go. Shout Jesus from the mountains and Jesus in the street. the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Would you bow with me in prayer? Let us just speak the name of Jesus over our lives. Father in heaven, we exalt in this place the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. And Lord, we do just want to speak the name of Jesus over families. Lord, we pray for the strength and health of every family in this place and in our church. Lord, last Monday, as we had trunk or treat, we had hundreds and hundreds of children on our church property. Many of them are not in church and don't know Jesus. Oh, Lord, we pray for them. We pray that kids in our community could hear and know the story of Jesus. I pray over those 300 Bible storybooks we gave away to families Monday. I pray you'll use them to share this wonderful message of Jesus with them. Lord, I thank you for the prayer conference. A hundred women gathered here in our church, joining women from all over the world yesterday to pray. We just speak the name of Jesus over this worldwide assembly and prayer movement of women. God, for our families, we pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, we want to pray for our, our world in the name of Jesus. Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and we join churches and Christians all over the world to pray for our brothers and sisters who are in places where it's tough to be a follower of Jesus. In North Korea, in Afghanistan, in Somalia, in Eritrea, in Iran, we pray for believers there that you'll make them bold and give them courage in the face of great suffering. We speak the name of Jesus over that worldwide family of believers. And Father, we speak the name of Jesus over our nation. We have elections coming up this week. And oh God, we pray you will give us good leaders who will lead us well, godly people who believe in justice and compassion and righteousness. And God, later this week is Veterans Day. And we're just so grateful as we pray for persecuted nations that we have tremendous freedom of speech and religion and we're grateful to those who have fought and, and given their time to defend and procure this freedom. We pray your blessing over the veterans in our church and in our nation. And we thank you for the heritage that we have. And so, oh God, we just pray the name of Jesus over our nation. We pray for a great revival and a great returning to you. And in this place, in this assembly, oh God, may your name be lifted up. And in our hearts, may your name be reverenced this very day, we pray. In the name above all names, the name of Jesus, amen.
Well, good morning. It's good to see you today, and I'm glad you're here to join with us in worship. I'm going to begin a series of sermons today on the nature of God. Don't you think it'd be good for us to think about God? Don't you think that'd be a a good subject for us to think about? Specifically, I want to share with you a series of sermons on the Trinity, our Christian belief that there is only one true living God, but that He is God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God in three persons. Now that three in one, that's hard for us to understand. Um, that's tough to get our mind around. How could it be three in one? And so some people uh, reject the idea of the Trinity because of that. And that's sort of like saying, I don't want a God who's bigger than I can understand. I want a little manageable God. I don't like God, a big God. You know, I just want a little God. Hey, God's bigger than us. He's beyond our comprehension, beyond our ability to completely conceptualize. He's God. And uh, to this... We're going to these sermons, try to understand the Trinity a little bit by taking it, rather than starting with three and one, which is hard to understand, one, two, three. So let me tell you where we're going. Today, I want to share with you what the Bible says, that there's one true living God. That's one. Then next week, we're going to talk about Jesus. Next two weeks from the Gospel of John, who is Jesus? As we prepare for the Christmas season, who is this baby that was born? Is he just a human? Is he a little bit more than a human? Is he a superman? Is he a part God? Is he a junior God? Or is he all God? And we're going to look at the Gospel of John to see who is Jesus. That's two. Got one, then two. And if we come to see that both are God, but there's one God, that'll help us to understand the Trinity. Then after that, we'll move to three. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. From John 14 through 17, what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? Is He just a part of God, the Spirit of God? Is He just an impersonal force, sort of like in Star Wars? You know, maybe the force be with you. Or is He more than that? And we'll come to see what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Then... We'll try to put it all together, three in one, uh, to understand the Trinity. So that's sort of where we're going. Let's start today with the number one. Here's the question that we want to try to answer today. How many gods do you believe there are? That's an important question that everybody ought to consider. How many real gods do you believe there are? There are three possible answers to this question. Zero, one, or more than one, right? That's the range of possibilities that you could answer. So let's talk about those three answers. First of all, there are some people who believe that the answer to the question is zero. We would call them atheists. If you're a theist, you believe in God. If you're an atheist, A means not, so you're not a theist. You don't believe there's any God. So the atheist answers, there is no God. And maybe there's, you're here today and some of you are a little bit skeptical or you're not sure if there's a God. and some, You've prayed and you haven't got answers and maybe you're just not sure there's a God. Uh, and I'm glad you're here and I want to try to share with you why I believe there's a God. Reasons to believe there's a God. Or maybe more likely you believe there's a God and I hope that these reasons that you could use them in a, a kind and polite way to talk to your friends or relatives about helping them to believe that there is a God. So I want to give you five reasons that I believe there's a God or five reasons I'm not an atheist, okay? And I'll give you a word for each one. You can maybe remember one word for each of these. And the first reason, the first word is beginning. Beginning. You see, almost all scientists now agree that our universe had a beginning. And so if it had a beginning, what caused it to begin? Is it more logical to believe that something just came from nothing? Or is it more logical to believe that there is a greater cause that caused it? Is it more logical to believe nothing, 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 nothing? Something! Does that make sense? 
when something appears, we usually, there's a cause. So isn't it more logical to believe that there is an intelligent God who caused everything to come into being? Same thing with life. Almost all scientists believe that there was a time when there was no life forms. So if there was a time when there was no life, what caused life to appear? No life, no life, no life, no life, no life, no life, no life. Does it make sense that it just appeared randomly, spontaneously from nothing? Or does it make more sense to believe that there is a living, eternal being, uncaused, who caused life to appear, who created it? I think it makes far more sense when you consider the word beginning to believe that because everything had a beginning, it had an internal, uncaused cause that began it. The second word, the reason I'm not an atheist and I believe that the answer to this question is not zero, is the word design. Design, D-E-S-I-G-N, design. Uh, Our universe shows incredible design. Even Stephen Hawking, who's not a Christian, said the universe shows incredible design. Ordered complexity. If there is ordered complexity, we always think that something caused that ordered complexity. If you find a laptop while you're walking on the greenway, you don't suppose it just sprouted like a mushroom. You think somebody left it there. Somebody created that. It belongs to somebody. Whenever there's ordered complexity, it points to a cause. A design implies a designer. And from the intricacy of DNA in every human scale to the way the planets revolve in our solar system, there is incredible design that implies a designer. The third reason I believe there's a God is beauty. Have you ever considered the question, why is there beauty? Why is there color? Why is there music? Why is there art? Because in a strict Darwinian worldview, everything is utilitarian. It only it evolved because it had a utilitarian purpose. And there is no explanation for the beauty of a sunset and the color of a bird. Charles Darwin said, a peacock's feather left me feeling cold. Because the intricacy of that peacock's feather, he had no explanation for it. Why is there music and art? There's, could, is it not more logical to believe it came from a creative, intelligent, beautiful, wonderful God who made music and art and color? Why is, why is our world not black and white? Have you ever thought about that? Why is there beauty? It comes from a beautiful God. The fourth reason that I believe there is a God is the word right, R-I-G-H-T. Where did the concept of right and wrong, good and evil, come from? Every culture has some sense of right and wrong. Now, they may have all a crazy view of right and wrong, but every culture has taboos and laws and right and wrong. Every little child, from the time they're a toddler, has a sense of fairness and rightness. Don't You can't take that from me. That's not fair. Where'd they get that? Where'd that come from? Because in the Darwinian worldview, there is no concept of right and wrong. If I can take you for, uh, take it from you, if I can kill you for it, that's survival of the fittest. That's how our world evolved. That's the Darwinian worldview. There's no right. Might is right. But every culture, every individual, and this is what got C.S. Lewis, he wrote in Mere Christianity, right and wrong is the key to understanding the universe. It's what led him to become a Christian because the only explanation for right and wrong, good and evil, is that there is a good God, a right, just God, who declared law implies a lawgiver, and there are laws in our world of right and wrong, and they come from the good, moral, true lawgiver. The fifth reason that I believe there's a God is the Bible. It's the greatest of all because this book, that I have come to believe is trustworthy because it has changed my life and changed so many other lives and is proven reliable and accurate by its historical detail, by the confirmation of archaeology, by fulfilled prophecy. This book says there is a God. I want to read to you the very first word in the Bible, Genesis 
1, 1, it says, in the beginning, God. So, before there was a beginning, God was already there. God existed in the beginning, and He created everything that there is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This book says there's a God and I would commend you to just think about those reasons. If you're a skeptic or if you're not sure that it is not illogical that there is good reason to believe that there is a God. Well, if there's a God, then how many gods are there? The second possible answer, if the answer is not zero, another possible answer is there's a whole bunch. That is that there are many gods and that would be polytheism, a polytheist believes that there's many gods, or at least that there is more than one God. If you believe in polygamy, you have more than one wife, and if you're a polytheist, you have more than one God. And so, by the way, Mormons are polytheists. They believe in more than one God. Now, they will affirm the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but they also believe there are other gods. They believe that that faithful Mormons can become gods and rule their own planet, just as the God of the Bible was once a man and became a god and now rules this planet. Uh, They believe in the possibility of other gods. Polytheism. Uh, Many forms of Hinduism are polytheistic. Hindus have a whole bunch of gods, maybe even millions of gods, some would say, certainly hundreds of thousands of gods uh, that they believe exist. Now, here's why I'm not a polytheist, why I don't believe that there are many gods, because if you believe that there's more than one god, then God's not almighty or infinite, is he? A whole bunch can't all be almighty, right? They have to be limited in some way. And so in most polytheistic religions, God specializes in something. He's, the, as in Hinduism, the God of destruction. Or in the, the Greek and Romans, you know, the God of love and the God of war and the God of thunder. Or in animism, the God of a tree and the God of a, of a, of a waterfall or whatever. So they really become less than God. They become finite. They're not what we call God when you've got a bunch of them because a bunch can't all be almighty and infinite. But the main reason I believe that there's not more than one God is because this book, the Bible, that I have come to believe is reliable, that has changed my life, that through fulfilled prophecy and historical uh, uh, details and the confirmation of archaeology has proven true. And this book says there's only one true living God. Let me read it to you. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, this is the foundational statement of Israel's belief. They said this verse every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So you see, here's what happened. There's one God that made everything. And then we rebelled and it messed this world up and it got all fouled up, tried to straighten it out by flood. That didn't work. And so Tower of Babel, God confused the world's languages and we spread. And we began to worship created things rather than the Creator. And as we spread, we we had some concept of God. The Native Americans who came across the land bridge from Asia to North America, they've got some idea of a spirit but it's a corrupted knowledge of God, just like all, God, all knowledge was corrupted. People in Africa, they had some knowledge of God, but they began to identify him with trees and rocks and animistic spirits and so forth. Corrupted knowledge of God. So God, in his goodness to us, chose one nation, the Jews, and revealed his true nature through the nation of Israel and recorded it in Scripture. And here it is, foundational truth, Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord... Yahweh, Jehovah, our God, the Lord is one. There's one true living God. And so the third answer to our question is that there's one God. That's monotheism. So there are three monotheistic religions in the world today. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And all three of them come from this verse. All three of them trace their origins 
to the Old Testament and to the Jewish faith and the revelation of God here that he is one. Now we'll talk later as we go through this series about which one is a legitimate expression of this and which one's an illegitimate expression of this. But for now, all three of these world religions take it from this verse, this fundamental understanding of the Old Testament. There's one true living God. And we're just looking at the Old Testament today. We'll move into the New Testament next week. But let me just jump ahead for one moment and share one New Testament passage to make sure you understand that when we get to the New Testament, we don't believe that this changes. We don't believe that there's more than one God, so that Jesus is God, so now we've got two, we've got three gods. We don't believe that there used to be one, and now there's more than one. No. All we still believe, even with the Trinity, there's only one true living God. Let me show it to you in the New Testament. Mark chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse uh, 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Jesus, whom we will see, claims a unique relationship to the Father, will affirm this is the greatest commandment. There is only one God, and you love him with all your heart. And so, so we don't believe that there's three gods, or there used to be one, now there's one. All through our understanding, there is one true living God. Now, as Israel carried this truth far, forward, they came into some tough times. They... They rebelled against God, and so God had warned them, if you do that, I'm going to let your nation be conquered. You're going to go into exile. And sure enough, Babylonians conquered them and took them into exile. That was a tough time for them. Now they're in a foreign land, and Babylon has their own gods, Marduk and all these other polytheistic gods. And so it became a time of wondering. You know, they're, now we're the slaves. They're in charge. They seem to be doing better than us. Maybe their god's bigger than our god. Maybe there are other gods. Israel sort of became to doubt what Deuteronomy had taught them and to wonder, well, these people are, are doing well. They're worshiping their own God, just like in our pluralistic culture today. Your kids go off to college, they go into the military, they see all these other cultures, all these other gods. They seem to be sincere. They seem to be doing well. Maybe this is just a part of the truth. Maybe there are a lot of other valid gods as well. That's where Israel was, and God sent Isaiah. And I want to share with you some passages from Isaiah. And at this time in their history, God sent Isaiah to say to them, Listen, here's what you need to understand about God. I'll read you a few verses from Isaiah 45. There are many others. Isaiah 45, verse 5. I am the Lord, Yahweh, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God, and I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. And then down in verse 18, for this is what the Lord says, he who created the heavens, he's God. There's only one God, the one who created everything else, he's God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. For he says, I am the Lord, and there is no other Isaiah 45, 18. And then in Isaiah 45, verse 22, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. So it's not that, uh, that he's just a provincial God. Maybe he's just the God of North America or just the God of the Jews or just the God of some certain ethnic group and others have their... He wants to make it clear, all the ends of the earth. You want to be saved? You turn to me. And be saved for, I am God, and there is no other. In verse 23, by myself I have sworn, my mouth is uttered in all integrity, a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. All will come to acknowledge one day that there's this one true living God. Maybe we ought to pause here and tell another possible answer to our question about how many gods there are. It's sort of like saying there's one God, but there's this a belief called pantheism. And pantheism uh, believes that all is God. The word pan means all. 
just sort of like we've gone through this pandemic and it affected how many did it affect it affected all of us right it's worldwide so pandemic pantheism believes that all is god in other words there's we're just all the 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 rocks the trees me you everything is one it's just all one god some forms of hinduism are pantheistic Uh, most of the New Age religion that you'll hear is pantheistic, that believes, oh, there's, we're one with the rocks and the trees and the planets and the skies and the solar system. We're just all one. Believes that all is God. Let me ask you just to think about this for a moment. If you believe in pantheism, you're saying that the Holocaust is God, that Hitler is God, that child abuse is God. Pantheism has a real problem with how you explain evil because you're saying it's all God. It's pretty, it sounds pretty good if you just are saying about nature, oh, we're one with the universe and we're one with the, the trees and the rocks and the clouds. That sounds pretty cool, you know. But if all is God, all the ugliness and filthiness and horror and depravity of our world, you're saying that's God too? A little bit hard to explain evil if you're a pantheist. So let me see what Isaiah says. One more verse, Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. So now he says not only is there no other God, but there's no category similar to me. I'm wholly other. He's not one with rocks and trees. He made all of that. It came from his creativity, but he is separate from his creation. He is unique. There is none like him there's nothing you can compare God to and he's certainly not one with everything else he's the holy God who's wholly other and different and distinct and this is why when we come to try to understand the Trinity you know people want to come up with analogies how could three be one well we come up with all these human analogies well it's sort of like this we'll talk about some of those in this series but let me just tell you right now None of them are going to work. And you know why? They might help you a little bit to understand the Trinity, but no comparison is really going to work adequately. Why? Because there is none like Him. He's in a category all by Himself. He's God, and there is nothing like the one true God. There's no other, and there is none like me. He's totally distinct and holy. How do you answer this question? How many gods do you believe there are? You could answer zero if you're an atheist. You could say more than one, but the answer from Scripture is there's one true living God who made everything, who is distinct from everything, and there is no other. Now, one more thing before we close, and that is this one true God has existed as a trinity forever. He doesn't reveal that to us until the New Testament. God reveals himself over a period of time as the scriptures unfold. And we haven't got to the part, we'll get to a New Testament where he begins to talk about uh, his being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We wouldn't have known that without the New Testament. But now looking back, we can see some hints of the trinity in the Old Testament. Now, we, they're not direct teachings. We wouldn't have understood them without the revelation of the New Testament. But now looking back, we can see, even in the Old Testament, some hints. Let me share those with you. The first one is this. In the Old Testament, God refers to himself sometimes in the plural. In the plural. In Genesis 1.26, where God is creating everything, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image in our likeness. Why does God say it that way? Is he perhaps referring to his three in oneness even then? The next verse, Genesis 1:27, so God created mankind in his own image. Moses doesn't understand that to mean there's three gods. He doesn't say, and he created God in their and he created mankind in their images. He says the singular, but God said Let us create man in our image. And then in Isaiah chapter uh, 6, verse 8, 
Here's another example where God refers to himself in the Old Testament in the plural. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Singular. And who will go for us? Who's he talking about there? Some say, oh, he's talking about himself and all the angels. Well, maybe. Or he's just speaking in majesty. Some people talk about themselves in the plural. We are going to the store today. I'm not sure. You know what I think? I think God's giving us hints, even there, of his nature. Even the word for God in the Old Testament has a hint of it. In Genesis 1, 1, where it says God created the heavens and the earth, and other places throughout it, the singular word for God in Hebrew is El, E-L. But the word most commonly used for God in the Old Testament is the plural, Elohim. In Hebrew, you put an I-M. We put an S on a word to make it plural. They, in their language, they put an I-M on a word to make it plural. Like if you know there's a, a cherub is a type of angel, and cherubim, if you heard that in a song, seraphim and cherubim. Well, the plural of seraph is seraphim. Plural of El is Elohim. And most of the time in the Old Testament, Genesis 1-1, it's the word Elohim. Why would the one true living God refer to himself with a plural? Maybe he's giving us just a glimpse of his complexity. Even the word one, where it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that we looked at, that there's only, the Lord is one. It it means a cluster or a unit. It is the word when God created humans. He said, I create them in my image, male and female. And then he said in Genesis 2.24, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. How could two become one in marriage? They're still two persons, right? And yet, in a different sense, they have been joined together. We will see throughout this series that the Trinity will teach you about your marriage and your marriage will teach you something about the Trinity because there we see just a glimpse of it, of how two can become one and what that would mean for our marriages. That's the same word used of God, used of marriage, two individuals becoming one. Well, let me share with you a second hint of the Trinity in the Old Testament, and that is the Spirit of God appears in the Old Testament. I shared with you Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let me share with you the second verse of the Bible. It's Genesis 1:2, and it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You only get two verses into the Bible before the Spirit of God is introduced to us. Now, if you just had that verse, you'd think, well, that just means a part of God or some part of God or manifestation of God, the Spirit of God. hovering. But let's go on through the Old Testament for a moment. In Judges chapter 14, verses 5 and 6, it says, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother, and as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward them, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. That's what we see in the Old Testament, the Spirit coming upon people at certain points. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him, and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. Wow! The Spirit of God comes with power. Now, if we just had that verse, we'd think, well, the Spirit is just some strength, just some impersonal force like Star Wars. May the force be with you that you could tear a lion apart with your bare hands. But when we keep going in the Old Testament, it seems to be more than this just impersonal power or force. And you get to 2 Samuel 23, 2, and David wrote, the Spirit of the Lord spoke through me and his word. You see, he uses that singular masculine pronoun there, like he's a person, a masculine person. His word was on my tongue. So now the Spirit is doing something that persons do. He's speaking, and we get a little more hint here. He's a little bit more than an impersonal force. It's a he, it's a person, and he speaks through people. One more 
about the Spirit in the Old Testament is Isaiah 63.10. Yet they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. Characteristic of personality, He can be grieved. Persons get grieved and now the Holy Spirit is revealed like a person and some things you do can break His heart or grieve Him. Just glimpses of the Spirit in the Old Testament. Finally, hints of the Trinity of the Old Testament, the Son of God appears in the Old Testament. Now, there are many places I could refer here, but let me just share one verse, a Christmas verse, Isaiah 9, 6, a prophecy, and it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we've got the concept of a son who's going to be called God, who's also somehow Everlasting Father. What in the world is going on here? We don't know yet. But God is giving us hints of the complexity of his nature that there's going to be a son who will be God a father and a son together. We're beginning just to see the greatness and the complexity of our God. So, what do you think? How will you live your life? How many gods do you believe that there are? The testimony of this book is that there is one true living God. He's bigger than you and me. He's vaster than we can understand. We won't be able to fathom all about him. But he loves you individually. And before you were ever created, or before this universe was ever created, he knew that you and I would rebel against him. And he loved you so much anyway that he planned to send his one and only Son, Jesus, into the world to become human flesh at Christmas so that He could die for your sins and pay your debt and open the way for you to know the one true living God. And if you will believe that, if you will believe in Jesus, the same Spirit of God who hovered over creation and was part of forming this universe will come into your body and cause you to be born again and give you power and be your comforter and take you to heaven. That's the amazing gospel of the one true living God. Would you pray with me? Oh God, I pray for those who might be here today who are who are not sure if you're there. Some things have happened in their life that make them wonder, is there a God? And I pray, Lord, that they will see the testimony that you have given, both in creation, the design of the universe, the morality of our world, and through this book, the Bible, that you were there. And I pray that your spirit would draw them to yourself. And I pray, Lord, that they would believe in the one and only Son, Jesus, and that they could know you through him and have joy and hope and peace and forgiveness of sin. And this is my prayer in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand together with me? We sing now a song of invitation and commitment. Today, if you would come to put your faith in Jesus and believe in God, I would invite you to walk forward as a way of indicating that, of your desire to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You can be baptized. Two weeks from today, we have baptism. Maybe you want to come and join our church. Maybe you want to come for prayer. We would just invite you to respond to how the Spirit of God, the Word of God has spoken to you. We would welcome you to come as we sing. Thank you.
the riches of this world will fade. The treasures of our God remain. Here I empty myself to owe this world nothing and find everything in you. The riches of this world will fade. The treasures of our God remain. Here I empty myself to all this world, nothing, and find everything in you. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender all to Grab a seat for just a moment. Just want to direct your attention to the worship guide. We've got some upcoming events, some deadlines that are approaching, and so you can still get your Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes out there. We've got plenty more out there today. They're due back here in two weeks. Um, upward evaluations, the late evaluation is tomorrow night from 5 to 8. So if you know of anybody else that wants to play upward basketball, we have somewhere around 125, 130 players and about 30 cheerleaders right now. And so great numbers. Uh, and so we'd love to have a few more. If there's any more that want to play tomorrow night was the last evaluation. So we can get those teams organized and get all that rolling. We've got uh, CDP classes listed in here, some upcoming events for the senior adult ministry, uh, men's ministry event coming up, our church Thanksgiving dinner. There's some deadlines, things you might need to sign up for. So check out that information and, uh, um, you know, do the things that it's asking, I guess. Maybe that's what I want to encourage you to do. So um, if you're a first-time guest with us as you're leaving uh, the, the worship center, as you're heading up to your left, you'll see our welcome desk there. And, and Dr. Cox will be there at the welcome desk. And he's got a small gift for all first-time guests. We, we thank you for being here to worship with us today. Man, we've worshiped with great music. We've worshiped with a great message. 
And, um, you know, you can worship by giving back to the Lord. Our, our offering boxes are there on the back wall. You can place your tithes and offerings in there. Let me close this out in prayer, and we'll be dismissed for this morning. Father, we thank you that we can gather here and worship the one true God. We thank you that we can see your love in creation, that, that even though you're all-knowing, you're all-powerful, that you still desire a relationship with us that you created. And so, Father, we just say thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Lord, thank you for salvation. And, Father, we pray that our lives bring glory to you in all that we say and all that we do, the way that we act, the way that we live, the places we go. Father, we pray we just bring glory to you in all things. Be with us this week. God, we thank you for your love and your grace and your goodness. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I surrender.